0: Good morning, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Welcome to the second edition of our in house film production podcast with myself, Jack Clark. And we have a special guest today, the king of the visual medium, the master of tech, and the geek of the week, Gwyn Hemming. Say hello, Gwyn. Hello. So, for those that don't know, listening at home, this is aimed at chatting about more in depth into the technical aspects that were not touched on as much last time in the David James podcast and approaches in filming our micro budget feature. Aptly titled, Nobody Loves You and You Don't Deserve to Exist. So yeah, so let's give an introduction to myself. Um, I'm a Solfordian, don't worry, I'm educated. Um, I'm the lead boom operator and sounding lead. Um, I have worked my way up to becoming one of the co-producers of the film. Um, And I also, in between operating the boom, um, take behind-the-scenes stills of the performance and crews on set, which unfortunately never includes me. Um, Gwyn, could you just sort of tell people who don't know who you are um, sort of what you do and what you do on this film.
1: Uh, hi. So on this film, uh, I'm the director of photography. Uh, so I work with Brett to uh, look at the story and we sort of work out visually what we want to do, what we want to achieve with it, and uh, and then lighting and shooting it. Um, I sort of started off uh, in sort of TV drama as a camera assistant. I spent quite a few years years doing that. Uh, but I always love shooting and lighting especially, something I've always been fascinated with. Uh, so when I sort of read the script for this, I was uh, sort of instantly filled with ideas and I was very, very keen to, to get involved.
0: Yeah. So just sort of on that, what sort of like when you re- you say you read the script and sort of wanted to be involved, what sort of like drew you in like emotionally to the story? Because this is a very emotional script, a very hard hitting script, and I guess a very real script from a very real story. What about like the characters or any of the themes, like way back? Because you've worked on this a lot longer than I have, uh, correct, Gwyn? How long have you been working on this film for now, roughly?
1: I think it's coming up to five years. Five yeah. years. I sort of, <laughs> I sort of expected um, that this film would take a while to shoot. I knew it wouldn't be a case of we shoot for four weeks, then edit, and then it's out in a year. I kind of just, I had this feeling that it was gonna take longer than that just because of the nature of the story it's one that was constantly evolving and changing uh which i found quite fascinating it's gone through a few different guises but it's always the core narrative the core themes have always been there and um the themes themselves i thought were quite fascinating uh especially sort of grief and isolation um and sort of the effect that they have on a person and how it affects their mental health and also the different ways that we all deal with grief. Uh, something that fortunately we all have to deal with in our lives. Um, and you could say the sort of creative catalyst for this film was the death of Nick Jackson. Uh, he was a very good friend of Brett, the director. And um, so and I uh, worked with two and I thought was a really lovely guy and he's a very talented chap. Um, but I sort of felt the film was dealing with some important issues and not in the way you usually see in films. Uh, the characters felt kind of very genuine, and the kinds of people that you could relate to, or you know, saw so in real life, is like that. Um, and I also remember thinking that when I first read it, that it felt very unique. Like I couldn't compare it to anything that I'd seen seen before, really.
0: I guess you would say the themes of isolation can be quite personal to everybody now. Um, and with the loneliness and anger of it and the differentiation between illusion and reality, what's true and what's false I mean everyone's kind of experiencing that now don't you think, have you experienced that yourself just over this pandemic and over like working on this film
1: um, What I have found uh, with, the, with the pandemic is this feeling of sort of uh, you almost can't describe it, it's kind of like uncertainty, just this feeling that like um, you don't because not really knowing what's going to happen, um, it sort of affects you in a bit. You almost, uh, it can be a bit more tricky to sort of try and maintain a positive outlook, which I do try and do.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it affects us all as a creative. I mean, I I left my undergrad, I was working on this film through meeting Brett through that, um, and I left my undergrad kind of like thrown into, I guess, a of vipers in a sense because a lot of i know a lot of my peers that i previously worked with or previously studied with they've almost just given up in a sense they've almost got normal jobs. so this film in a way it is like the sort of like best option and it's like sort of slowly become that best option over time just through working with it and working with brett for me um what drew me to the film it was just it was like you say it was just different you know you you reading it each time you read it you almost like find something different you see in it um in a sense, that's an interesting ice cream van. Uh, you're going to and yes, go get he something.
1: Likes, he, like, he likes to drive around the estate. Uh, I don't think he it's actually bit, sells ice cream. It's
0: a, it's a, it's a bit weird it. how you've got an ice cream guy driving around during a pandemic. What's he giving out? I hope he's giving out vaccinations and not ice cream. Oh
1: Well, that would be very handy. Unfortunately, I don't think he's that useful. He just literally drives around and makes that. Oh, do you like a, a, a jab on a
0: flake? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, what was I onto there? Yeah, I was onto like. um. So we've kind of like pocket funded this film in a sense, like just with what we've got in our pocket. I know Brett personally took out loans for this film correctly um, to pay for equipment just so he could like do stuff. Was it for the Iceland stuff he, he did that for or was it solely for this film? Because you've worked was you working with him on the Iceland documentary or the documentaries before or was that before your time, Gwen?
1: Yeah. Uh... That was he, he's working with Nick on those ones but him and Nick bought a load of camera kit uh, many years ago so they bought sort of uh, the 5d and some and some lenses and some tripods and various other bits and bobs so they could shoot their own stuff shoot little their uh, documentaries and music videos and so yeah I think he's still he's still paying that off after all these years so that's what we start shooting on we start shooting on the 5d because at that point we knew that what we were shooting was sort of montage flashback type stuff. So we knew that we could get away with shooting on the 5D for that. But I always wanted to shoot the main stuff uh, on a better camera just to try and lift the production values you know, a bit more so that uh, we're shooting the best quality production that we can. Do
0: you find that hard to do on, on no budget, try and shoot as best as possible? I guess you're trying to shoot for cinema without cinema in a sense, if I'm right in saying that. Is that how you kind of feel shooting it so far?
1: Yeah, I find that usually you've either got money and no time or you've got time and no money uh it's very rare that you get both and we were in a position where we didn't have any money but we did we did have time like we didn't have a deadline to try and finish this film by we just wanted it to be as good as possible so that means that we've kind of reshot scenes that weren't quite working or changed things that weren't quite working so having that not having the the burden of it needing to be done by a certain date, i think allowed us to uh be a bit more creative with things, and to look at things, and shoot things, and say, "Well, this isn't quite working. How about if we did this?" Um, which I think, which I, I think, has definitely improved the overall quality of the film for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess my best moment for that. Was when we were doing the uh, outside James stuff, uh, James's monologues outside, roaming. I think we shot that like reshot that three times, didn't we? Overall, ev- everything was like changing and like there was like little bits and pieces here and there that were like different that weren't to like complete standard. But overall, the interesting thing was each sort of section of takes that we did on those individual days, they were each usable. Like somebody, somebody could use them and produce them into like a film, but. With, with Brett's vision and Brett's ideas and Brett's direction it kind of like that cubic level standard really where it's like if it's not perfect I'm not using it you know it has to be the best meal you have to serve the best meal to me that we can possibly do with the resources how did you find like constantly reshooting is it taxing on you
1: um I'm trying to think of things where we've actually been and do done reshoots and it's very very rare to be honest to do reshoots sort of either in the, in the live-action world or in the stop-motion world, which I've also done quite a fair bit of work in, it's very, very rare that you will reshoot something unless there's something quite serious or unless the, the client is happy to, to pay for it to be reshot. Um, but I think, like I say, it's, it's, it's given us a, a huge benefit, I think, with this. Because if we haven't got much money, we have to show that this film is worth watching. And the way that we do that is by the quality of the writing, of the direction, of the performances... This is something that people have, you know, have slaved over very hard and spent lots of, uh, lots of hours, lots of time, just yeah. doing the best they can.
0: Yeah, I think it was a, uh, I think it was David Lynch. I think I'm right in saying it was David Lynch and a Razorhead. I might be wrong. I think it was about five to seven years he spent making his first feature of Razorhead. I kind of draw a lot of similarities between that production because they kept running out of money. Effectively, they had uh, David Lynch was working normal jobs. Um, he spent a year, I think it was his garage or one of his rooms, kitting out to be a sound studio. And I mean, I think, you know, if you spend time on your craft and time on your art, I mean, when I remember when I first jumped onto this project, it was like, it was kind of taxing. It was like, you, you know, you, you look at Brett at first glance and you go, who is this guy? He's, I've never seen a guy like this before. This, is this guy mad? Is he crazy? But then when you start to work with him, I, I give it about mm-hmm. two months, I'd say, when you start to work with him, you kind of go, actually, this guy cares more about film than I ever could fathom. Um, cares more about the yeah. craft than I could find. Them. It's like Brett's yeah. almost in love with film. And, um, and I think since knowing Brett, I've like really opened myself up to film more because film can be very um, sort of narrow for a lot of people concern- in terms of mainstream content. Because this, would you agree this is not really a kind of mainstream film, really, is it?
1: No, I think uh, I wouldn't say this is a mainstream film. It doesn't sound very great for anyone who wants to invest in it. Um, but I think it's the kind of film that, you know, Will be most appreciated by sort of real film lovers and cinephiles. I mean, it's sort of he's he spent a lot of time writing this, you know, years writing this and rewriting, and he storyboarded every scene as well. He's put he has put his heart and soul into this into this film, and I think it shows in the script and the storyboards, and hopefully it will share with the final film.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's almost artist therapy in a sense because uh, to be personal, but he did write it through grief, through grieving, and that's kind of. That kind of adds to the art, really, because you kind of you get a different feeling to the characters that you're watching. Like, I guess a common person would go, wow, that that, that feels really real. And then us as crew, we go, "Yeah, it, it did happen. It generally did happen. All this did happen. And it's kind of like sometimes it's like the truth is almost like more unbelievable than the fiction or the truth is more fiction than the fiction that you're producing. And like, why do you think it's really taken so long? to sort of get this project sort of like flowing and like
1: one of the facts that i love is that apparently i read that it took peter jackson longer to shoot his first film bad taste than it did to shoot all three Lord of the rings films because bad taste was his first film he's doing it for no money uh it was shot on like odd weekends when people were free uh it has got a bit of sort of special effects and things in it as well but um that kind of gives me a bit of bit of hope that it's not just us that are taking our time with this lots of other people as well
0: and i think a lot of outsiders never really expect you to sort of dedicate so much time to sort of like working on the production i think for me it's um you know the the productions never really had a budget like i said before it's like been a pocket budget really it's never really had a budget i mean i buy a lot of the props and i kind of just keep them as like a self-imposed prop master she's very cool when people come around you know you can just show them like oh look at that there's a pipe or look there's a cool adidas jacket you ever wear it? No, it's for a film, and then it opens up a lot of stories and a lot of talking. But so I think that's a good thing about film. Actually, is you can you can talk so differently to people about so many different things compared to a normal job. Like my I know friends that work like blue collar work like Tesco, and they just say, "Oh, it's the same every day. I just did this, did that." Where I go, actually, you know, yesterday I was a uh, I was down a quarry for. Uh, filming a guy juggling and they go you are yeah that's my job (laughs) Um, it's a really crazy film like that but it's also really magic like that it's like a magic it's a very magic craft
1: yeah yeah i think so i I almost have to pinch myself when i find some of the situations that i've I've been in and uh yeah i think people who who don't work in industry are are kind of fascinated you know if you tell them that you work in industry or a camera camera person they uh they, they kind of sort of almost perk up a little bit and uh and, and are quite interested because it's it's yeah it's, it's not it's not the kind of stuff you uh you really sort of hear about every every day it's but different yeah, are... it's
0: different to put it in layman's terms i suppose it is very different yeah
1: yeah it is it, it's very cool that the way that sort of the uh the places that you can find yourself in and the challenges and the sort of situations that you can find yourself in i think uh sort of a one thing that, uh I really sort of love about the job, really.
0: Yeah, I think you have to be sort of insane to a degree to kind of do it, really, because the hours, I mean, we did that, what was it, three days at uh, Brett's place in Hume to do the Dave scenes. That was like 24 hours, 24 hours shooting that. That was like mad we did that overnight. So I think we were starting at like 6 p.m. or, or even earlier than that, actually, and we did it over three days and we had to reshoot again, which was like, oh, God. Oh God, we well, you know we thought we'd have it out of the way in forty eight hours. Let's add another forty eight hours to that. But you know it's back to that you know attention to detail, which I think is like synonymous with this project, and a lot of other projects kind of miss out. It's like you know not to reveal, but if you look in a lot of the frames of the film, you'll see recurring things that have appeared before. You know, and it all kind of links in there. There's nothing that's in there that's not supposed to be there. You know, even the mugs, the mugs, they're all they all represent the character. It all links with like the mise en scène and the symbolism. That's very. Very precise and also very hard, Um, especially when you've had a director that, you know, this is taxing material on him. You know, this is very deep material. He's lived this and he has to then take what he's lived and put it into a visual medium. And that's very, very hard. You know, I've got to give all my respect that I could give to Brett for that, for basically living through these events twice in a sense. Um, and you know, he was hospitalized, like you say, for two months. Uh, you had the broken kneecap, which is kind of like a permanent disability now. That was like in 2017. He was there for that, wasn't he? Didn't he like, well, I yeah. guess not to reveal the story, but didn't he like trip over a barrier or something?
1: He claims I pushed him, but that's just him joking around. That. I definitely didn't push him. He fell over a curb and uh, yeah, he, he sort of <laughs> he busted his knee up and he's, he's still on crutches now. So uh, you can't tell anyone that Brett has not suffered for this film. He has suffered in. Every way that a person a person can suffer really for a film.
0: I suppose in a way he is like a champion for that, and I think if if I was like less able bodied or I was just suffered from a disability myself, I would probably see Brett as like a role model, probably for that because he's continued to go on a lot more than some able bodied people do. You know, through a leg injury, through a surgery on a hernia. Um, through a pandemic through all these sort of personal problems and issues you know it's it's that it's, it's tough and it builds character and that's why in the same sense he writes fantastic characters i just want to yeah. i want to touch on just just the the sort of elephant in the room but the original lead actor um he did drop didn't he, he dropped out of about i think it was five months of development um we, we both met him in the, we did rehearsals as well which were filmed by you um yeah. Yeah. and yeah it was it was a weird situation wasn't it
1: it's hard when you've got a project that is going to be running over a long time when you can't pay people. So you almost can't really fault people for leaving the project. But yeah, he did uh, did leave us in a lurch a little bit. But I think these things happen for a reason because we've got an actor who's much better, Dave Howell. He was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine anyone else being in the role now. Yeah, no, Dave's
0: uh, fantastic. I think working with Dave, he's a lot more open. He's uh, open to direction as well. Um, he listens, he gets himself in character quite well um on on, on mm. set on set he's, he's he's great with direction same as with james i'd say actually james when he when he gets down to it when he gets focused on set he's great with direction that scene stands out i've shown it to people the james scene that we have available to preview and i've shown it to people and they go damn that guy's my age because my a lot of my friends are around my same age and they go damn that guy's my age and you know i'm watching his performance i'm like i believe that i believe what he's saying is true and i'm like that's the power of acting you know, it's the power of getting a good actor yeah. and, like, actually casting properly. So I think even though we've had no budget, no real casting director, because it's been me and Brett really doing the casting and, like, looking into it, I think we've done fairly well, I'd say. But, I mean, we've had we have more than just Dave. We've had the uh, fantastic addition of a composer that's composed the soundtrack for this film, Andrew McQuarrie-Shan. Um, yeah. We've not even met him. And that, that that's the great part of doing with this new thing, doing things remotely. We've never even met him. We've just communicated via email so far. Which to me is like amazingly strange, you know what I mean? Um, that we've got a crew member that's like producing such a great creative input to the film. But he's actually not there, do you know what I mean? He's like an almost Wizard of Oz figure. He's like behind the smoke in the mirror, just like
1: I think Andy's done an incredible job. Uh I think the soundtrack sounds brilliant. It really does add an extra dimension to the film. And when you listen to it, you can just hear and feel the depth and intricacy. And you can just feel that he has really, really crafted this. Um, I think one of the things that a lot of micro-budget films sort of forget about, or have to kind of sacrifice, is the music. Um, They'll uh, either try and get like uh, some free library music and just put it over the top, or maybe find someone who can maybe use Cubase or Pro Tools. Um, But we're so lucky that Andy has just created this beautiful music that just fits in with the narrative with the film it just really complements the visuals that we've already yeah. shot and the characters and it all just feels like one
0: um and i think he's an exceptional artist on the same creative standards as brett um you know they kind of work hand in hand and i think every sort of great directors had a great sound guy it gives the film it's like medieval vibe which is very very mm. different very fantastic because you've got this industrial age sort of manchester film you know it's very gritty real sort of mike lee ken esque with its characters then you've got like this almost like medieval aspect all the characters represent something like different from like it's almost like a tarot card in a sense you could say you know you got like the the, the council you got dave representing the jester stuff like that and it's it's amazing that we even found a composer as a access to a bloody hurdy Gurdy. You know, the, the like like a <laughs> mythical instrument. You know, it's like we've walked into a tavern and paid a bard a few shillings, and you know, ask, come, "Come, come this way." We've got an adventure for you here. Um, so, I just want to ask you, um, as a cinematographer um, on the film and in general, what sort of challenges? Because every film has its challenges. Everything really, really in life has its challenges. What have you encountered?
1: Um, yeah, I suppose obviously the obvious ones, as mentioned, are things like uh, it's the lockdowns and people injuring themselves or not being available for shooting and stuff but also um trying to get into the mindset of the characters because as a camera operator for this film i've uh brett was very keen i really get into the mind of dave into james because when i'm shooting him he needs to feel like he's he's talking to you the audience member so you need to feel like he's talking to you he's engaging with you like james is talking to you so the way that we blocked it um the way that the camera moved, uh, we wanted to feel like the audience is involved in this as well. So trying to get inside the head of, you know, uh, James's character and Dave's character was was an, was an important part. I think um, when we shoot in the monologues.
0: Yeah, I mean, we had to do the seventeen-minute monologue on the, on like the streets of Hume because it's a very old looking street. Um but we did that over like the four week period like I mentioned before like chopped up the reshoots. But we had to film it as if it was 1992 with no production yeah. budget. That's very hard. What sort of issues did we come into that because I know we came into a few while we were filming.
1: Um the main thing is cars, making sure because obviously because um 1992 part of me feels it's not it's not that far away but actually it's it's a long time ago and so most of the cars i mean it's before i was street. born i'm a 98 yeah so. oh goodness me now i feel real <laughs> um but yeah we, uh, most of the cars on the street wouldn't have been around in 1992 so it was trying to stage the action and choreograph the scene so that we wouldn't see anything that shouldn't be there anything that's not periods so that's cars that's also people because people People dressed differently in 1992, you know, uh, so trying to avoid people, trying to avoid cars and we're shooting on streets uh, without permission. So we can't control or lock down anything. We just have to we just have to go with what we've got and, you know, try and shoot under the right weather and the right light as well. Uh, so that's part of the reason why it took sort of four different shoot days to get it done. But, yeah, trying to avoid the non-period stuff was hard yeah i
0: mean you're almost playing against you know god in a sense especially with weather i mean i remember a couple of occasions when we had like the shading there was like a big cloud coming over and it was like well we can't film this because it's like completely different be very creative in terms of like avoiding them issues but still producing quality which is a great learning experience for me as somebody like very young starting out, but it's also very interesting to hear about and to see. It's like, cause people go, no, at first glance, you'd go, no, that's impossible. You can't do a 1992 sequence, uh, part of the film without, you know, closing it off without, you know, dressing the scene without any, any of that. And we will, we've kind of gone, well, actually you can, you know, you can do it. You just got to find the right street, right conditions have the right people on the job. And I think that's, that's a very, very cool thing. At least to me, I think, uh, i imagine it's a very cool thing for you as a cinematographer Gwyn, to sort of achieve that look a look that you would not have thought possible before
1: yeah it's it's so satisfying when you get that right because there were some quite long takes with with james's scene and uh just when you get that take where the performance is right and the light is right and you don't see any cows or people in the background uh it's so satisfying and then it's a bit it's a bit heartbreaking when you have to reshoot it uh
0: I mean, you almost okay. kind of know, in a sense, though, when you're kind of filming it in, in your individual role. I, I kind of know, when I've got a good sound take, usually. Um, and I guess you kind of know, in a sense, you've got a good, like, visual take. And then Brett, as a director, knows he's got a good performance. You know, he kind of just clicks in your head. It's like a switch. It just goes, yep, that's it. And I actually heard Brett say, yep, that's the one. You know, yep, that's it. Um, I guess there's other challenges, you know, for me. Um, the biggest challenge gone to sound is sound. You know, I'm almost yeah. like a one-man sound department. Not to toot my own horn or any horn for that matter. Um, but you know, I've, I'm doing boom. I'm, you know, lapelling up the actors if they're there, or setting up the lapel somewhere else. We did a lapel on a desk. You have like a whole department of like three to four sound guys, don't you? Usually working on set, operating like different aspects of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Depends on obviously the size of the job, but you would have a sound recordist, uh, and then you would have. Um first boom operator then a second boom operator and maybe uh, a trainee as well so yeah it's, it's normally th- three or four people in the sound department so yeah you've, you've done stilling work there jack You've done you work of uh, three people there,
0: and um, which is why you kind of got really believe in it which is why i've kind of been whittled down to a very very like minute skeleton crew in a sense i mean there's there's you there's me there's obviously brett there's rob there's james that's about five that can like be on set on hands so we've had jenny help out a few times Um, and that's like for a feature film that's like people would automatically look at you and go you 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 must be insane or you must be like crazy or they just say it's not possible
1: um i personally love working with small crews i think i prefer working with small crews and big crews because um sometimes i think if you're on a really big big job with a big crew Um, it can be a lot more difficult to get things done because you have to talk to more people or to get things done you have to ask this person and do this but I think because we're such a small crew we can make decisions very quickly and we can change things very quickly we don't have the burden of things taking a long time to do because um, the locations that we're shooting are all practical locations that we just sort of dress Um, sort of fewer people is fewer problems and maybe that isn't the case but it does kind of feel like it um, we've, we're very lucky that we've got you and we've got Rob and we've got uh, James as our sort of our core crew and trying to keep people um, sort of, you know involved in the film for this amount of time without paying them, it's it's very it's very really tricky yeah i mean
0: it's kind of a testament to the production really so you got to think of it like this it's like imagine you're like a manager at like i don't know let's say uh, tesco i always use tesco as an example i've got tesco on the brain it's all that meal deals just brainwashing me gradually <laughs> um but imagine like you're a manager at tesco and you're like you know imagine one day your staff come in your team of staff let's say six seven whatever and they come in and they go um, yeah, yeah, we're here to do work. And you might you, you as a manager go, Oh, I'm not paying you today, can you still do the work anyway? you imagine that's now you'd probably walk out really, wouldn't you? You know, testament to Brett. <laughs> testament to him because he's managed to keep everybody, especially you Gwyn. Um, you know, people like Vedad as well. Vedad's sort of been here um a lot longer than I have. Rob's been here a lot longer than I have. Um, even James. James was doing boom on the, the I think it was the Susie shoot before I was attached to the project. And to keep them all sort of on the on the grapevine. For so long without paying them, you know, with demanding such yeah. such detail, such work, you know, is it's just a testament to the to the project, but also the director as a director, because you know anybody else I think would really struggle to keep to keep even just like one or two people on board for that long, let alone you know a crew of five or six for five five years, you know, five years. Well, what sort of drew you in with Brett? You know, well, what is it? What is it about Brett's direction, that sort of? drives you as a cinematographer is there anything specifically
1: um one thing i like about working with brett is that he 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 knows what he wants and i think that is a very important quality to have um because it it does make the shooting a lot easier when, when the director has got a vision he knows how or, or they know how they want this scene to be done or how the film to look or how this thing need, needs to be done and i think he, he's also good at motivating people um because when you are when you're asking people to work on your film for free for you know up to 5 years they have to feel like the project is worth it and i think brett's very good at uh making you you know making you realize that this is a worthwhile project you know you see all the time and effort that he puts into it and i think it, i think it's it's quite sort of tangible you know that this is something that is worth all of our time and that's the reason why we're all still working on it is is it's you know it's down to the quality of uh, of the story
0: yeah i mean i it, on this inspiring i remember working on a couple of the night shoots uh, during i think it was a summer summer uh, core lockdown first lockdown um and we we went on a shoot with brett at, i believe it was the mancunian fort i remember very vividly that it was very late at night i think it was like 11ish going on 1 mm. w- 1 a.m which is a crazy time and I remember him giving like such a roaring speech, you know, like he's like Spartacus in the streets of Manchester, and that in itself is is something that's worth filming or something worth capturing. He's giving that speech, uh, a like speech rant to us, and you know, for like he talks like he can talk for like years, bro. Right? He can talk for centuries. Um, hmm. Yeah. But uh, he's giving us that speech, so yeah, and and it is inspiring. At the time, you might not like uh, digest it or respond to it. But when you go back home and you go, well, you do remember it. You know, you remember his speeches, you remember what he says, you remember you remember his direction, you remember being on set with him. And that's a very key takeaway that he he is a leader. I mean, I'd I'd, I'd rhymes to run the country realistically at this point. It's crazy, isn't it? That we're still working on this and we've got a government that at the moment is really discouraging doing it. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yes. I mean Yeah, it's it's very it's just—it's almost heartbreaking in a way, because the arts contribute so much, you know, film, theatre, television, music—you know—it just contributes so much to our economy, and we're sort of known around the world for, you know, for for being incredible in some of these arts. Uh, and yeah, they just completely underfund it, uh, and it's—I think it's—it's it's tragic, and and they're sort of telling people they should retrain. Or something else? Yeah, or
0: something else I, like I remember. That. Like they did the campaign. Um, it was like get a job in cyber, you know, yeah. retrain. That's crazy. That's like, it's like saying give up your art. You know, give give up what you want to do. Go go do this. Said, that's that's massively discouraging. Do you know what I mean? It's crazy for 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 you to like even make a film in those conditions, Um which is either we're crazy or the world's crazy. Do you know what I mean? Um
1: Well, I think it's possibly a bit about. You, I suppose <laughs> that's kind of why it's kind of why it's important that this film gets made really to show that films can be made under almost any any conditions you know sort of whatever you throw at people they'll find a way to uh t- to survive and to thrive and to make great art
0: i think it's fantastic really because i guess in this country the epicenter for film has always been london you know london 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 the south yeah. whereas like what we're building is something like very northern you know there's a very big manchester identity in this film i mean a majority of the actors themselves are born and bred within manchester or from manchester they work in manchester you know we've got career crew in manchester we've got people supporting the film from manchester we've got a creative industry up here that i don't think it's really like you know took off in the way it should do and i think like film this film and films like this that kind of like you know you can you can see you feel manchester watching it it's, it's it's got history as well it's got a very heavy history of music i mean brett even documented it in his uh what was it? One one of his Beyond documentaries? It just slipped my head. Uh, Beyond
1: the, uh, Oasis. Yeah,
0: Beyond the Oasis. That was it. I was thinking for some reason I was going to say Beyond the Smiths, but I knew that was wrong. Um I guess in a sense it is. Um, but yeah, you know, it's 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 home to both industrial age, computer age, uh, history of great history of music, but it's not really had a great history of film, and that's very surprising to me. Very very surprising. Is is it surprising to you that it's not had a great history of film?
1: Um, Yes and no. I can kind of see why all the big films go to London, because they've got all the big studios. But Manchester does have its fair share of big studios as well. But Manchester at the moment, it's mainly sort of uh, TV. Uh, You've obviously got BBC have moved up to Media City as well and Salford. Um, So there's lots of of kids as well as sort of news and sport. Um, There's also a bit of stop motion as well. Again, that's sort of more kids work. But the thing I feel is missing is... Uh, is is the sort of the big film work really? I mean, any time that you see Manchester on a big screen, it's usually uh being made to look like New York in a yeah. Marvel film or a big Hollywood blockbuster film. So I think it's very important that we we see more of Manchester on the on the big screen, but just as the Manchester that we all know and love.
0: Yeah, I think the Northwest in general, really, to be honest, you know, it's yeah, it's, it's a he- it's yeah. a big heavy place. There's a lot of creative people here, but I just want to like touch on. Um, you know, you'd you normally you'd normally work freelance, um, and you know you've you you had a contract to Universal Studios, uh, did, which you recently completed. And I corrected saying that, Gwyn.
1: Yeah, we wrapped that up on uh, middle of January uh, this year, twenty one.
0: What what was that sort of project you were involved in, and how did it differ from this?
1: So that one, I was an assistant lighting cameraman. So that was a, a stop motion uh, job called Norman Pickle Stripes. It's a kids show for um, the Universal Studios Kids channel. Uh, and that was a long one, that was three years. It's, I didn't realize, well, actually, I think it was the contract originally was two years. It did run a bit over, but also it was also affected by the pandemic as well. So I was kind of out of work for six months until it was safe to go back in. Um, But I, I find it fascinating, stop motion. Um, it, it, it uses, I've, I've learned a lot of skills from, from that that I can transfer it onto other jobs. But um, the sort of lighting element is a big one, which is what one reason why I love it. It's all very intricate lighting because the sets are a lot smaller than a live action set because the, the puppets are generally a lot smaller. And we shoot all on stills cameras as well. And I've always loved um, still photography. So um, so I've, I've learned a lot as well in terms of the sort of the post-production side, the processing as well as just the sort of general shooting. So it's been a, it's been a really great job.
0: Suppose it's it's good and hard in a sense, isn't it? Because you were working on that sort of contract based work with Universal, whilst also like trying to film this this, this film with us. Um, you know, we yeah. had to we had to do a lot of weekend shoots um, just in the spare time. That's almost like that's a full week of work. You know what I mean? That's 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 interesting as it is difficult for you. How how difficult is it for you to try and like balance like making something you really want to make and you know like doing something that you need. You know, like for like income.
1: Do tend to pile the work on myself. I keep saying that I'm trying to get a bit of time to uh to unwind, which this pandemic has given us if there's any any benefit to it. But yeah, I do I do like to keep myself busy. So if I have a day where I'm free and someone says, Oh do you mind shooting this? Uh chances are that I'll do it. Um just because I love doing it. So yeah, we'd be shot on a lot of weekends for this. So I'll be doing I'll be doing me sort of five day week in the studio and then we'd shoot on a weekend and then back. To the studio for five days so it's 12 days straight and that does uh that can take its toll and i've done jobs where um again I, I was on a tv drama up in manchester and on the weekend i was doing some shooting for a feature film for a friend uh who was directing it and that was down in banbury so i was going da- driving down to banbury on friday night shooting this uh some scenes for this feature film then driving back up sunday night and then back into work on on monday morning in manchester so uh and also i, I think i shot a feature film in an entire month with i think two days off and in those two days i think I had two weddings Damn. <laughs> um, yeah. so um i would recommend don't try and burn the candle at both ends you need, you need to give yourself time to uh to have a bit of rest but i think if there's if there's great work that you're being offered i think you should you, you should take it really
0: i guess i just want to like touch on a bit more um with with what we've been talking about about you know your work working on weekends Lockdown in a way, the first lockdown benefited us in a way, because um, we went around filming, didn't we, Gwyn? A lot of the night exteriors in and around Manchester, sort of late at night, um, doing a lot of the GVs, um, and that was very interesting, because usually we'd have to, like, you know, pay to lock that city down, but quite literally the city locked itself down, didn't it? You know, there was nobody on the streets. It was like a, it was like, you know, waking up in 28 days later. How did you find that experience, sort of being able to film Manchester during a lockdown, and even still working like that during a lockdown? How did you find it overall?
1: Yeah, well, it was—I believe it was just after the main lockdown, so um, so I think we were technically allowed out, but I think a lot of people were staying, were staying in, Um, so we did kind of take advantage of that a little bit. It it was—it was—it to be honest, it was quite eerie, but it is also—it was really nice being able to uh, to kind of get about and and shoot what we needed to shoot.
0: How has it been feeling to you creatively and individually to be able to sort of like, I guess, put your individual stamp making important decisions, not only technically, but in some cases creatively, how do you feel to making that jump from what you've worked on previously to going straight into a DLP on this project?
1: Um, well, it's been it's been great. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Um, I'm kind of lucky that uh, when I was working as a camera assistant, you know, I worked with some amazing DOPs and operators and focus pullers you know some really amazing crew and I and I like to think that I've taken quite a lot from what I learned from them it's quite hard when you're an assistant because you don't cause as a camera assistant you are very busy and you don't really get a chance to actually kind of watch the DOP light and sort of uh, just look at the lights they've used and what it's doing quite often it's very, it's very busy so you haven't really got the time but so, sometimes you do get a chance where you can see something like, especially when they're lighting something like night exteriors, which are very tricky, especially on a low budget. Uh, You can kind of see what they've done and you can sort of work out, you know, what that light is and what that's doing and what's the effect they're trying to, they're trying to create. So yeah, I've tried to use everything that I've learned from those, from from those shoots to when I finally start shooting myself and you look, you make a lot of mistakes when you start shooting yourself. But that's all part of it, I think. Yeah, I guess you um, learn from
0: mistakes, really, don't you? I don't think people should really be afraid of making mistakes.
1: But no, I, to be honest, I, I sort of really enjoy it. I love doing, like, handheld work. So when I start sort of um, shooting handheld and the performance is, is amazing, which we've had so many, especially, you know, with Dave and James, such so, so many amazing performances that you just kind of feel lucky to be there capturing it, you know, and... Um, it's, it's really interesting um, kind of, because when, when you're sort of sat behind the camera you almost feel like they're performing to you and you're, you, you feel like you're the first person to receive that performance, so it's quite I think it's, it's a very sort of special moment, I think it's a very special relationship that you have between the camera person and the actors uh, and I, yeah, like I say I love doing sort of handheld especially if there's movements and you have to sort of choreograph you know where does the camera move when the actor moves and just working through that and i think also just relying on your instinct you know sometimes you either make mistakes or you make choices where you think oh i'm, I'm not sure why i did that but actually you, you watch your back you know like, oh, actually that that works really well or, or then you can work out ways to maybe enhance that improve that or do things differently but um i think yeah i think i, I think you sort of having sort of just going with your gut i think it's quite it's quite an important
0: Thing. Yeah, I think I think in terms of like handheld, we, we we really hit the bar lucky when when we got to use the fifty three two studio to do to do those shots with the ladder uh, for the dream sequences with Dave uh, the lead. Those are some fantastic shots. That was such a fantastic experience. I mean, big big up to fifty three two for the work that they do, and to Dave Howell, um, absolute powerhouse in them scenes. Um, and that was only yeah. amplified by your visuals, Gwyn, because sound wasn't as important mm-hmm. in those scenes. I mean, we've had the cool shot in the trailer, which is like reminiscent of Jacob Ladder, where he's shaking his head. You he got the motion blur. That's you don't see that in a lot of modern films, if at all. Do you know what I mean? It's such a cool thing to see and an interesting thing to see, and it's it's great to get the opportunity to do that and have a DLP that that, that can do that that takes those risks to do that because it is risky to do.
1: Well, I suppose it depends on the risk. Obviously, if it's a, if there's a risk that people might get harmed, that's obviously very different. But if it's a, if it's a if it's a creative risk, um, then you know, if I feel that it's the right choice for the film, then uh, I think that's all you need to to know, really. I think that's the only question you really need to ask. If I think whatever it is that you're doing, you know, you have to ask: Is this is this right for the film? Is this right for the narrative? And if the answer's yes, then you know, chances are you should do it
0: i guess you know the past five years of this production um it's just grown and grown um you know we've got articles coming out we've got stuff like this doing even in a podcast to me seems like it all feels like i'm a celebrity uh, i can't imagine to you as well gwyn you know um well, i hope not <laughs> um you might appear on camera soon uh back onto that you know it's it's got a cast of I think about 16 professional semi-professional actors you know we've we've, we've got larger crew Over time, you know, more people want to be involved, like Andy, like Dave. Um, You know, we've got, you know, Dave again, big him up again, but he's a great new lead actor compared to what we had. Dave is
1: amazing. We are so lucky to have Dave on this uh, on on this shoot. Um, I feel like the first time I met him, I just knew that we were going to get on. You know, when you meet someone for the first time and you just have this feeling, this this person's all right. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, Dave is incredible. He's done some amazing performances, and I really look forward to the next monologue to see. To, to see what he does there, and uh, James Ward as well needs, needs another shout out because his his scene is fantastic. He's one thing that made that scene slightly easier to shoot was that he knew the words so well, and he, and his performances uh, was was so strong. Uh, and that scene's like 17 minutes, but it doesn't feel like it at all. It Absolutely flies by. So I think that's a credit to uh, to Brett and to James for that.
0: The actors that we've worked with. At this level because they're relatively unknown level do you know what I mean but it's like we're working with like um, we're working with professionals all the time and it's it's amazing that we that that, that that it's amazing that these people haven't been discovered before and in hopes mm-hmm. that this film will will discover everybody attached to it really will get somewhere from it and I firmly believe it will but yeah I think do you think some people would complain about this film because it does have quite a dark sort of real subject matter
1: um that's the interesting question, and uh, I think it would be very interesting to see how it is, how it is received. Um, I know it's not going to be a film for everyone, but it's not been written as a film for everyone. It's not been written as something to appeal to the masses. That's very very much what it's, but it's not. But what it is, I think, is a film that, you know, it talks to people who have gone through grief, who feel isolated, who have struggled mentally, not necessarily just um in the in the pandemic times but before that as well um or even you know or not even that people who just uh you know who have been through things in their life who have had problems you know family problems or mental health issues I th- Any-
0: yeah i think i think we all get it now don't we we all get that sort yeah. of experience now of mental health just because of the situation that we're all experiencing it's a shared experience now um that and yeah
1: um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I sort of feel like people will find a lot of things in this to relate to. Whether it's you know the, the talk about uh, what happened at uni, sort of James's scenes when he's talking about what uni was like. Like, I think that will for people of that generation that will bring back a lot of memories. And seeing again, seeing Manchur on the big screen, seeing these characters, I think there's a lot that can resonate with people. And I think that there's a lot that people can really sort of engage with.
0: A lot of the things, they just happen in life. Life happens, you know, death is a part of life. And, you know, whether we want it or not, you know, grief is a natural extension of that. You know, we we love someone, we want to remember them. And grieving is, you know, our, our way of you know, expressing our love and compassion for one another, you know. To create something, I think, that expresses our experience, uh, stuff that happens in our life, which is what we've we've effectively created. You know, I'd, I'd argue there's a bit of every member of the crew in this. Not just Brett, not just Brett's writing. I'd argue there's a bit of every member of the crew in this. Um, and, you know, it just means we're human beings to make something like this, something different, something that explores such things that people might want to ignore, you know, to explore such a taboo issue creatively. Um, with a group of passionate people a small group of passionate people is I think life affirming really would you agree like it's life affirming to, to, to do something like this to be able to work on something like this um, that, that explores materials that you would might not get the opportunity to explore again for example do you know what I mean
1: yeah yeah I agree it's it's really nice working with people that you, you kind of you see eye to eye and you get on with them and you sort of see things the same way uh, I think I think we, we've we all really sort of gelled on this because I think we all have that similar mindset where we just love cinema. We just want to make cinema, uh, you know, and we're happy to use up, you know, any any free days that we have, you know, to shoot something that we hope people are going to talk about for years to come.
0: High hopes to screen it in Europe, but almost go on tour like a rock band, Brett was telling me the other day, which would be interesting. <laughs> go on like a film Sweet. tour in like a big old van, like we're a Metallica or Black Sabbath or something. Well,
1: what what that's what kevin smith did for his last film he basically took it on tour and that's how he made money really sort of, you know he's sort of, he sort of he'd book cinemas and he'd do A Q&A afterwards he was the um, his the latest um Sal allen bob film oh really and um, no, i haven't watched um, I that
0: think... actually i really wanted to i look quite like kevin smith um
1: yeah yeah same but yeah he basically just did a tour like he said he sort of booked out cinemas uh to screen the film and then they did a, a QA afterwards and i think they were pretty much all all sold out so that's essentially how he and he was able to fund the film
0: well i mean fingers crossed we can go on a tour So i know we definitely can't tour remotely uh that'd be a very interesting experience a virtual tour around europe um but yeah i think we're coming to a close gwyn um it's been fantastic doing the podcast fantastic having Back you likewise, on man. um Thank you. this is a very interesting one um I don't really have an outro, outro to close on, so I'll just close on. Nobody loves you. and You don't deserve to exist. Not a statement to you, but the name of the film that will be released. We are hoping this year.
1: Yes. Are we? Um, where's the best place for people to check up on updates? Uh, Twitter. So there's Instagram? there's
0: seriousfeather.com, which is literally just www.seriousfeather.com. There's the personal Twitter, which is just at seriousfeather. There's the Instagram, which is at seriousfeather_ there is a uh, love film exist as a handle.
1: Excellent, sounds good. But yep, we're
0: just going to close this right now. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks everyone for listening, um, and we look forward to a great twenty twenty one and a great film that will be released.